The Gospel reading for this morning comes from the Gospel of John, beginning in the second chapter at the first verse. And John wrote these things. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And Jesus was also invited to the wedding with his disciples. And when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does that have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. And his mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. And when the master of the feast tasted the water now become wine and did not know where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. And this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Would you pray with me, please? Oh Lord, we pray today that the wine would continue to flow flow out of misused, dusty old jars and out into the streets where there can be dancing and joy and where with the winemaker of Nazareth we may empower all people to call out to life. Maybe then all people will come to believe in him. Open our ears, our hearts, and our minds to your word for us this day. Amen. Well, at the beginning of his ministry in John's story, Jesus and his disciples attend a wedding at Cana in Galilee. It's a small town near Nazareth, the town where Jesus had grown up. And his mother was there looking after things, it seems, since she directs the servants and she learns that there is no more wine. Well, Mary comes to her son with a concern. The wine has run out. And Jesus seems to say, well, leave me alone. Yet in the eyes and mind of a mother to see beyond the present time, she just turns to the servants and tells them, do whatever he tells you. And we know then that the jars were filled with water, six of them holding 20 to 30 gallons apiece. Friends, that is 120 to 180 gallons of water changed to wine. That was some feast. Water became wine in abundance. A tragedy was averted. A new marriage celebration continued, and a family's reputation was saved. Water became wine. Anxiety became peace. Emptiness became fullness. Fear was swallowed up in perfect love. And Jesus became the one who said, This is my business. 
You know, we sense that in God's world there are more and more good things to be had. The chief steward was given a taste of this new wine and he congratulates the wrong person. He congratulated the bridegroom, not Jesus. And the wine was not real because he believed it. It was real because despite his complete ignorance of where it came from or who was responsible for it, in fact, if the steward thought there was anything at all unusual about it, it was that the bridegroom had waited so long to bring out the really good stuff. The best wine comes later. And remember also, please, as we read this story, that the jars were first empty. The ritual washings had been accomplished. The servants have to go and fill them with water before the miracle occurs. So Jesus was not transforming the purification water that was in the jars into wine, but he's transforming new water that has been placed into the old containers. Old forms are given new content. Now just to get our minds around what this means, imagine with me for a moment that we're having a party down in Fellowship Hall, and when the punch bowl is carried out, it accidentally slips and smashes on the floor. And Uncle Joe says, well, don't panic. I know something we can use. And he goes upstairs to the sanctuary, puts the baptismal font over his shoulder, and carries it down into Fellowship Hall. Then they fill it with Canada Dry and cranberry juice. <clears throat> and the baptismal font becomes a punch bowl. That's kind of what Jesus did behind the scenes at Cana. The time for cleansing had passed. The time for celebration had begun. So with this notion that old forms are given new content and that the best wine often comes later, I think it's also significant that this whole transformation hap happens around a celebration of marriage. For marriage really is a structure of creation. It's divinely given, intended to meet some of our most significant needs as human beings. And there is indeed a dimension to marriage that is best addressed by using the biblical term covenant. And covenant is the structural principle of marriage, for just as God designed marriage to meet the needs of human beings for companionship, sex, and love, so also God gave marriage a covenantal structure. Now covenants are God's way of organizing, sustaining, and reclaiming reclaiming primarily relationships. Covenant promises are binding. They restrict future action on the basis of our present decision. Covenants transcend contracts and that they place more focus on relationships that are being established. And covenants establish a relationship that goes way beyond any particular exchange of goods. I've been doing this for almost 30 years, and I can stand up in front of you and confidently say this morning that no marriage is perfect. That doesn't mean that everyone is an equally good marriage partner for anyone else, or that some people's circumstances aren't more challenging than others. It does mean that most of us, or that none of us, should be surprised when our marriages include both better and worse, richer and poorer, 
sickness, and health. You are not perfect, your partner is not perfect, your life will not be perfect, and Christian marriage is a promise to be companions together in all that life brings, with the expectations that what life brings is bound to be mixed, but that God promises to be a part of it all. Now, I think the fantasy of romance is all about finding the perfect partner, after which it seems all the rest of the story just takes care of itself. <clears throat> the truth here, I think, is that it does matter whom you choose. The lie here is that the rest of the story will take care of itself. In the fantasy romance, the wedding usually comes at the end. In Christian marriage, the wedding is really but the beginning, the beginning of a journey together that will take you through uncharted territory, some of which we hope will be beautiful, some of which may be ultra-challenging, and much of which is likely to be both. And for this journey, you don't really want a partner who is perfect. You want a partner you can rely on as a fellow traveler, someone who you can trust with your life, because when you get married, that is precisely what you are doing. Now, the fantasy of romance makes you believe that it is all about you. And Christian marriage, if it is to thrive and endure, as it's meant to do, had better be about more than you. Christian marriage recognizes that little things matter at least as much as big ones and maybe even a whole lot more. And I really think that part of the reason people fail to develop the kind of bond that can get them through hard times is that they pass on opportunity after opportunity to rejoice together in small blessings and to deal intentionally and constructively with small challenges. It seems we're always looking over one another's shoulders at whatever it is we want and haven't got yet, rather than just giving thanks for our daily bread, sharing the pleasures or disappointments in the day and therefore putting down deeper roots into the soil of what, folks, is a truly common life. Christian marriage is about cherishing one another today, because today is what you have. Who knows what tomorrow brings? What is indeed certain for all of us is that one day there will be no more tomorrows. Marriage for Christians really allows us an opportunity to look death in the face and choose to love anyway, because that is precisely what God in Jesus Christ has done for us. So according to the gospel of Jesus Christ, God brings life out of death, redemption out of suffering, victory out of defeat. To be Christian means, among other things, 
that we are to live as if this story is the true story of the world. And to be in a Christian marriage is to expect this most intimate of human relationships to be shaped by that story. And sometimes that looks dramatic. At other times, it just looks humdrum and everyday. And in most lives, in most marriages, it is both. And most of us, when we marry, marry both for better and for worse. And our happy endings come when we encounter together the God who transforms all things through the experience of Jesus the Christ. So I want to tell you this morning that I think this is really big stuff. One day at a wedding at Cana, the presence of Jesus allowed water to become wine in abundance. Transformations were everywhere. Water became wine, anxiety became peace, emptiness became fullness, fear was swallowed up in perfect love, in our marriages, in our relationships, in our covenants. The presence of Jesus continues to do that same thing for us. To God be the glory. Amen.